Bisexual Alliance is a non-profit organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi-alliance.org or email info at bi-alliance.org. This is 3CR Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Thursday Breakfast on this, the 21st of December 2017. Where has the year gone? I'm sure all our listeners uh, feel the same, but a lot has been achieved this year. I am sure you will agree. Um, on the show today, we'll um, listen to uh, Annie from Showreel. Uh, Showreel is on every Thursday on 3CR at 11am. Talking to uh, Haley Bracken about the Clean Skin Cinema event uh, that happened earlier this month, with all the profit, pros, profits from the event going to the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. Uh, and at 7:45, we'll be speaking. We'll be hearing um, Fiona Valella, who spoke with Beck Kevener, um, uh and she's a coordinator of Read Up, which is a resource aimed at 15 to 24 year olds, um, and it's a series of books lists organised under, you know, lots of different headings, just to be able to give, um, you know, I guess that, that age group a bit of an understanding of issues like um, LGBTQI, respectful relationships, diverse cultures. Um, and then after eight, we'll be speaking to Con Karapanagitiotis from the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre about their Christmas appeal. Um, so that's going to be the show um, today. I'll just go to a few community announcements and be back with you in just a moment. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for 49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now.
Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti-war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooeyed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday the 7th of January or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingadela at gmail.com. A 3CR supporter. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now and check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. Uh, I am back. Um, just uh, I mentioned earlier... Um, that, uh, yeah, it's been a fantastic year. Uh, a lot of things that have been achieved. I think, um, even as late as last week, um, we were talking about how we, you know, have been involved in the Stopadani coal mine, um, you know, campaign. Not that Thursday breakfast has been sort of responsible, but there's been a lot of groups out there who have been responsible to actually make sure that someone like, uh, Anastasia Panachet has um, decided to, um, you know, um, uh, remove the funding for, for that call project, but we know that Adani um, is obviously going to try and push ahead with that. Um, but we also had a very, very um, excellent campaign initiated by the Victorian Gay um, and Lesbian Rights Lobby, Equal Love, and it was all about, um, you know, an attempt to win gay and lesbian couples marriage rights in this country, and, you know, that was passed not too long ago. Um, But just uh, to sort of give you an insight into, you know, what this has meant to some people, I've just got a little three-minute piece here that I'll play for you, Uh, and this was recorded earlier this year and it's under their campaign, the tag team, and it's uh, Yes for Love. I think we've all probably had trouble with it, uh, accepting our own sexuality at times and probably gone through some tough times through our teenage years and coming to that terms of, you know, being gay or being lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it would be great that if we can try and build a world for those young children to come into our world and maybe and make it a little bit easier for them. Mm, um, it's been tough for me personally, this uh, Yes campaign. Um, my dad's actually uh, quite... Religious and um, and uh, informed me that he actually voted no in the in the campaign. Wow. Now that's 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 something really tough to to take, I think. And Absolutely. like there's a bit that's only about nine ten days ago that he let me know that. But there's been a lot of pain for for me to, to cop that. But also there's been a lot of obviously more severe stuff to to other people. And were you surprised to learn that? Did you think um, that yes? Or? I think we've talked about marriage equality probably for the last sort of twelve to eighteen months, and I, I thought we've had some healthy discussions where I think when it would come to 
just at the end of the day, it's just a piece of paper. It's, it is private. Um, mm. If he's ashamed to rock up to his church on Sunday, and and it's not something that he needs to disclose to his church. So yeah. I think I thought that maybe a family would be uh, preferred over religion, and, mm. and just a quick vote. Yes, it probably doesn't mean much to him. He doesn't, you know, it doesn't affect mm. him personally. Mm. Um, however, it does affect me severely. So I thought that. We'd got to that stage where uh, a tick to yes wasn't a huge deal, but obviously it still is for him. Mm. So tough to take. I think I've had some like discussions with family about, you know, what's the, you know, if I was to get married, does Dad get invited to that wedding? Yeah, like, yeah So of they're the, my thoughts that have gone through my head in the last mm. week. So I think uh, if we can just try and we can get married to quality through this year, it's a great start. Hopefully, it makes it easier for the next generation. That's to right. Start absolutely. Yeah. Well, I've been thinking a lot um, this week. I mean, you know, it's easy to talk about marriage quality a lot without actually thinking about um, mm. what it means to you. And I was remembering when the debate um, sort of first came in, into the media, and, and I'm talking many years ago now, maybe like ten years ago, when when I first started thinking about it. And I remember thinking that I wasn't that I wasn't that bothered by it. Like I, I didn't think that we needed it. And mm. um, obviously, that's evolved greatly over time. And I think it's very important now. And I was trying to work out why I didn't get it at first and I think the answer to that is similar to what you were saying Dave is that there was no role modeling of it you know what I mean mm. as we were growing up there were no uh, gay people that were legally married anyway uh, in Australia and so because of that I think that I didn't picture it as part of my future and so I think what you said Dave is right that this sort of marriage quality is really important for future generations because it mm-hmm. does Legalize, normalize our relationships. And then I think if I was, you know, growing up, uh, you know, from this point on, then you would see that for yourself. And who knows what sort of mental health benefits that could have for people if they see those sort of active and legalized relationships in society and what sort of harm that could help prevent, you know. Mm. And on that note, I think it's probably as good a time as ever to announce that I'm having a baby. Yay! In actual um, life? An actual real life baby. And, you know, that is going to be a tremendous baby in a rainbow family. And I I want that baby to have, you know, uh, all the legal uh, or as much protection that the law and society can give it um, mm. through that respect. So uh, uh, hold, let's, hold, let's hold hands. Come Yay. on. Let's vote yes. Let's get it bloody done. Yay. Yay. Well done, guys. And that was Guy there. And that, that just gives you a sense of, uh, you know, how important uh, that that national vote, which showed that 61% um, of the, the, the survey um, respondents uh, were in favour of marriage equality. And we know, obviously, that uh, there was, you know, that 38.4% who voted no. Um, and obviously, the, the, the legislation uh, was passed and the first readings uh, will be able to take place. We know that there's a... 30 minute, uh, 30 minute, 30 day <laughs> intention of marriage, uh, wait. So some weddings will probably go ahead quicker than others, but, um, you know, by the end of, uh, mid January to late January, there's, uh, going to be a few wedding parties that we'll be going to. One in particular. So this is where I sort of think politics might be a little bit, um, strange. Do politicians do the job because they, think they can and then do they come out and they say things just because they feel that that's what people want to hear classic example Tony Abbott a fierce and staunch opposer of marriage equality and equal love uh, once uh, you know that, 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 that the vote was passed 35 days ago <laughs> he had to make the most awkward phone call I got to hear him talk about how great the news was because after, sorry, in the aftermath of the yes victory, uh, Tony 
came out and said, oh, it's great news now um, because it means I was, I'm going to get to go to my sister's wedding. Um, I guess it was uh, his admission of defeat. So he said, you know, it wasn't long after the result that uh, maybe 30 minutes or so that um, he ended up calling his sister and and she, uh, Miss Foster, had mentioned that they spoke and he con- he congratulated her and he was very magnanimous and he acknowledged that it had been a great result for the Yes team and I guess um, I'm sure they would have discussed their shared view that the legislation needed to happen quickly and, um, yeah, he, he came out on the radio and he said, you know, um, I'm going to go to my sister's wedding. So, in all honesty, would he have not gone because he had said that he was a staunch... Um, opposer of the of the yes vote, who knows? I, I just sort of think it's uh, it, it was just a bit strange that Tony had spoken so staunchly against it, but now that it's gone the other way, he thinks it's okay to just come out and say, "Hey, I'm going to go to my sister's wedding now," which is a positive sign because it means um, that uh, family wins. But did he really believe what he was saying earlier on, which? Uh, puts uh, doubts on now uh, what other politicians say and do. We know that more recently um, Malcolm Turnbull has had a cabinet, cabinet reshuffle uh, and was that done because they are the right people going into those portfolios or was it done because they just didn't like the person that was doing the role in the first place? Is it because they're looking after their mates or not? But that's a topic for 2018 and we'll see how that unfolds. Might go to uh, one more community announcement and, and a track and then we'll come back with uh, uh, Hayley Bracken speaking to Annie from Showreel about clean skin cinema.
from Rattling Harm nearly 30 years ago and that song still very very haunting it's uh, time now to um, yeah, get a listen to Annie from Showreel who spoke to Hayley Bracken about an event called Clean Skin Cinema and it happened earlier this month so we've got Hayley Bracken in the studio and she's talking about clean skin cinema. Now, as I was saying to you, I don't know anything about clean skin cinema, so tell me what it's all about. Clean skin cinema is a social enterprise and it's based around the simple notion that not knowing everything about a film, not seeing all the trailers and having everyone tell you parts of it see yeah helps you have a greater level of immersion in the film so so the idea is people turn up and watch a program of films without knowing anything about it yes but it's also an opportunity for local filmmakers so i think whenever anybody meets someone who's an expert in a field like literature or film something like that they'll ask recommendations and it's sort of like that on a large scale that you get to see a film that's going to be good because it's... A some program that someone's put together. Yeah, it's a film that someone's chosen, like a, a filmmaker, someone who's totally preoccupied with film, has chosen as the film that they think everyone should see. It's People um, don't really abuse that trust. Often, you know, it's very sincere, but it's also an opportunity to see something that isn't going to be in the regular feed anymore. I don't think we consume film, media in general, in like a haphazard like you'll happen upon something kind of way anymore. Like, and people really want to know, you know, the Netflix preview or the Metacritic review and the Rotten Tomatoes review of everything before they see it. So, so where do you normally show your films? It actually started. The first one started here on Smith Street, not far from here, at a gallery space called Junior Space, and we've, yeah, on a small scale, and we actually serve clean skin wine um, with with the entry of the film. And Elena Litkina, who's doing the one that we're doing now, um, she actually did the very first one that started here. And because the capacity was exceeded, we had more people coming and then there were seats and people sort of standing and sitting. And, um, yeah, so we moved to a bigger venue. And it's exciting for me, this next one, because all the profits will go to the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. And now that it's become of its own sort of volition and interest, um, something that might make, you know, a small amount of money, it's nice to put it towards something that's an extension of how it began, about actually engaging with the narrative and thinking about people's stories. So can you tell us how you got involved in doing this? Um, Because I like to be the the viewer in a clean skin cinema situation so it's basically just the assumption that I'm not that crazy or out there that if I like that like a lot of other people will like that too the, that you yeah I think some of the best cinematic experiences I've had I haven't seen it coming because I haven't I haven't even known what genre it was you know who it was by 
And that's really hard increasingly. I mean, if you've grown up watching The Simpsons and things like that where you see the parody or the pastiche or the reference of something way before you even see it and it contours and shapes how you see it and, yeah, it's nice. So, so it's more fun. It's more fun. Yeah, and it's obviously with like-minded people. So can you tell us about the person who's the filmmaker who's decided what we're going to see on yes, Thursday? Yes, um, Elena Ledkina who is a brilliant Russian-Australian filmmaker. And she's just returned from the Venice Biennale, where she uh, premiered her first feature film um, called Strange Colours. And that was part of the Biennale College program in cinema. And, um, yeah, she's incredible local talent. And she is actually screening a short film of hers beforehand called Plain Pleasures, and then her selection, the film that I'm not going to say, obviously. You're not even going to say what it is. No, that's the point, right? That's you go the point. And you yeah, don't okay. even know, like, yeah, you don't know anything about it other yeah. than that she's going to choose it. So that's also an opportunity, I suppose, to um, investigate some local filmmakers and understand, you know, through their taste and things, what, what kind of thing you think they might. And it's also going Bring. back, in a sense, because you've got a short plus a feature. Is that right? Yeah, there's a short plus a feature in this case and in some cases, but sometimes there'll be a comedy act beforehand, like we've had Miles Munn do a reading of his Full Dolce Vita, and we've had Alex Ward, comedian, do uh, do a set. So it's sort of uh, so the discretion event. of... Yeah, it's a cultural event, and it's at the discretion of the person who's chosen as, or, you know, who I've asked <laughs> <laughs> to, to select the film. They get to sort of... Um, if they don't want to, like, program it, I'm happy to. But for the most part, people have some idea of how they'd like to facilitate that experience of that film, and that's really nice as well. Oh, that's really great. And so can you uh, tell me about the uh, Abbotsford Art Precinct? Where's that? Yes, um, that is the new Collingwood Arts Precinct, which is not very... Well, it's new in its latest um, Uh, rendition. Um, it's really old school. I have it written down, actually. It's 1871. It was first opened as an art and design school. And it's got that beautiful Art Deco facade. It's on 35 Johnson Street in Collingwood. And now it's under the management of Creative Victoria. And it's being um, really revitalized as a space and being used again. So it's really exciting because this will be the first cinema event they would have had there. In oh, right. A long time. Oh, so. that's really great. So yeah. it's a really neat, neat idea. How did you get the idea? Um, from Clean Skin Wine. Wine. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, they can be you know, often really good and it's part of the mystery and, and the fun of it as well. And um, I, initially that was the brief, sort of, that you might know the region and the general, or like you could pair like a... Um, like a noir film with a Pinot Noir or something. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, right. So yeah. what do you mean a brief? Where did you get the brief? You just decided this or a group oh, of Oh, that's what I mean. No, yeah, just me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you. Just the confidence oh. with me. <laughs> oh, that's really, really cute. And why did you connect it to the um, resor- uh, refugee res- uh, the resource centre? I've been communicating with a man called Nashad who was in the Manus Detention Centre, helping him with English, um, only for a short while before the situation escalated so horribly there. And um, I think, of course, there are a lot of different social and environmental issues that you know are pretty atrocious, and it's hard with a lot of things competing for your attention all the time to 
um, humanize and take things seriously, but because I had that particular connection with him, you know, heard about his family and his sons and um, his life, so that became something that I felt more connected to and implicit in um, not doing something about or doing something about because I had a more interpersonal connection with someone who was actually in the news story, I suppose. Yeah. Which ties, I guess, with your uh, your cultural efforts as well, you know, bring, bringing people to a closer connection to not only a, a filmmaker who's local but also their own internal understanding of cinema. Yeah, <laughs> that's, true, right? that's a really nice way of putting it. Thank well, that, that's what it is, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely um, about yeah, telling stories, sharing stories, social consciousness for sure. And that was the wonderful Haley Brecken speaking to Annie. Be back with um, hope speaking to uh, Menji Fu, who is a youth project coordinator at Shakti Youth. Um, you know, we've just been listening to why class, um, Clean Skin Cinema was created to assist refugee communities. Uh, and I think uh, Hope speaks to uh, um, Menji Fu from Shakti, talking about really uh, intervention and prevention of family violence in immigrant and refugee communities also. <laughs> In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for 49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Time now to listen to Hope from uh, Tuesday Breakfast speaking to Menji Fu, Youth Project Coordinator at Shakti Youth, um, and be talking to us about her work with, um, I guess, family violence and immigrant and refugee communities. With me on 3CR Breakfast, I, all the way from New Zealand, we have Mengzu Fu. Mengzu is the Youth Project Coordinator at Shakti Youth. Um, hi, Mengzu. Thank you so much for joining us on 3CR Breakfast. Thanks for having me. So you're here all the way from uh, New Zealand. Can you tell us a little bit about why you're here and the work that Shakti Youth does? I'm here in Melbourne to... Uh, support the team here for their AGM. Um, so Shakti New Zealand uh, is an organisation that was started by a group of migrant women in 1995 and they had initially set up a support group where they found that one of the major issues in the community was domestic violence. So they ended up growing to a Australasian organisation that does domestic violence intervention and prevention 
And my role at Shakti as a youth project coordinator, I do a lot of work in high schools in Auckland with Asian, Middle East and African youth around family violence prevention. Uh, Shakti Youth was started by a group of young migrants who wanted to make a real change about family violence in our communities. And we were all brought together by uh, the founder of Shakti, Farida Sultana, who saw a real need for youth to lead in the social change around family violence. And in the beginning, we just um, got together a group of us and organized a inter-school conference to gauge the issues around uh, cultural bullying, around family violence, around racism in our communities and things that are very specific to Asian, Middle Eastern and African youth um, in Aotearoa because most of the organisations are very much mainstream um, or specifically focused on Māori and Pacifica youth. So there wasn't really anything for um, yeah, young people of Asian, Middle Eastern and African background um, and that actually came about because Shakti saw a lot of cases of young women, um, teenagers who were going through issues such as forced marriage, honor-based violence, and parental abuse. And there were really severe kinds of violence that um, some of the adult staff didn't really know how to deal with because the effects of it included like um, self-harm and suicide attempts. So, yeah, they were really needing some youth leadership around creating an intervention and prevention model that worked for youth. So mm. it's all about kind of self-determination and addressing the issues in our communities and not letting, um, I guess, external um, or the mainstream people trying to dictate to us uh, what the solutions are because we are from the communities and we have lived experience. And I think that speaks a lot and means a lot in our organisation. Mm. And in terms of... Um, uh, uh, in terms of mainstream services, I mean, what I've seen is that a lot of the times um, do, the dominant society, the dominant white society, I guess, looks at our cultures um, and thinks that our culture is part of like the the problem. Like so, you saw some of the stigma and shame when our communities are looking for a space to try and address these problems because of the scrutiny from dominant cultures. It's very hard to address some of these. And you know, I think that if, I I know that family violence happens to everyone mm. and anyone. Yeah. So the problem is not necessarily our individual cultures but patriarchy in our cultures and gender inequality in our cultures. And sometimes that might happen in culturally specific ways, but it's very much there in the dominant culture as well. Like sexism, misogyny, rape culture is rife in most cultures that um, have hierarchical structures. Mm, definitely. And so, yeah, and this is why these uh, spaces that are by and for communities are so important. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's been really awesome for me being in Melbourne and meeting some of the other uh, people of colour and w especially women of colour that are involved in trying to create a change here. That's really exciting for me to see. Great. The areas that you work in are women's development, empowerment and domestic and family violence intervention, prevention and awareness. Um, how do young people experience family violence as opposed to to adult to adults 
So the majority of the family violence or domestic violence sector focuses on the relationship usually between um, partners or uh, spouses. So what we've found um, over the years is that for young people, there's a lot of parental abuse um, or sometimes sibling abuse or dating violence, um, which can be really specific to, um, it can happen in culturally specific ways for especially young women um, of migrant refugee backgrounds. Um, for the ones that have grown up in Aotearoa, New Zealand, uh, there's often kind of identity and cultural conflicts, um, having, uh, dealing with a different culture at home compared to dealing with their school environment, which can create some tensions in the family. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. One of the um, campaigns uh, that that you had was the Find Your Voice campaign. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the Find Your Voice campaign was initiated after the murder of Sidra Malik. Um, she was an 18-year-old young woman from West Auckland, and she basically had uh, grown up witnessing violence. Um, her mother was also murdered along with her, and it was a big uh, wake-up call, I guess, for us to really shine a light on the experiences of young people and children who witness violence and to be able to um, provide a, a visible support system that they can also reach out for support and reach out for help if they are needing it and there is culturally appropriate services for them. Mm. Um, one of the things, uh, because I was really lucky to go and, and, and see a presentation about your work, but one of the things I really liked was how you also try and address some of um, the structural violence that, that exists and I guess um, some of the structural violence, I guess, that also is, is inflicted upon migrant and refugee communities. Can you tell us a little bit about um, structural violence and how it's related to um, to, to um, family violence? Yeah, definitely. So, for example, um, for women who don't have permanent residency, um, there's a lot of barriers to seeking support and a lot of barriers to accessing um, some basic needs such as uh, health care and housing um, and work and income support, which I guess in Australian context is places like Centrelink. Um, so they don't have a lot of the same rights as women who have um, permanent res residency or citizenship. Um, so they often end up being in a more vulnerable position. When we talk about structural violence, it's the kinds of violence that we don't necessarily identify as violence. So it's the institutions and the systemic issues that create conditions where um, women, and especially of marginalised communities, um, experience social suffering. So those are, those are the aspects that are a lot harder to address compared to the more visible forms of violence, um, which I think family violence used to be a form of structural violence until it became more talked about mm. and uh, more addressed in the open. So, yeah, so there's issues for around immigration status. So that's like a form of structural violence. 
Um, I guess other forms of structural violence we see is through the court system where there's a lot of institutional racism for against migrant women of colour um, and especially against migrant mothers who are often perceived by uh, some of the family court judges as being incompetent mothers. So even if the fathers have been abusive and even if the children have disclosed sexual abuse from the father, the family court judge would still give custody to the father rather than a migrant mother. Mm. And um, so so now we're, um, we're sort of marking um, a very important time. Uh, 25th of November is the International uh, Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women and Girls. And as a part of that... Um, People are encouraged uh, to take part in in 16 days of activism to challenge themselves uh, to think more broadly or try and consider things around around um, around uh, gender-based violence, I guess. Um, and uh, so, in terms of migrant and refugee communities, uh, what is it that you would like listeners um, to take? action on or think about um, in these 16 days and of course into the future? I think for migrant and refugee women and our own communities it's really important to take responsibility for the issue of gender-based violence and to take leadership on the issues um, and for people who are outside of those communities to listen to the leadership of women in those communities rather than assume that there's this kind of one homogenous voice which is often uh, men in the communities who sometimes deny that these problems exist. Mm. Um, yeah, and I would say um, for young people that we really need to be the ones to break the cycle of family violence because the, that is how it continues into the next generation and to be able to assess what kinds of relationships are toxic and about power and control rather than love and respect. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for that, Mengzu. Um, if people are interested in finding out more information about um, Shakti or gaining uh, useful resources, uh, where can they go? Uh, we have a website, which is um, shakti.org.nz, and we also have a youth-specific one, which is youth.shakti.org.nz. But actually, we're probably more active on Facebook. Um, so if you just search Shakti Youth on Facebook, you should be able to find us. Mm. Well, thank you so much. And um, thank you so much for joining us and uh, all the best with uh, your ongoing work in New Zealand um, and really looking forward to learning more about both your work in New Zealand and Shakti's work here in Australia. Thank you so much. Thank you. And if you're just tuning in to 3CR Breakfast, I was speaking with Mengzu Fu. Mengzu is the Youth Project Coordinator at Shakti Youth. And Shakti Youth, along with their patron, the former Prime Minister of New Zealand and currently the head of the UNDP, Helen Clark, have announced that after six years of advocacy, petitions and hard work by Shakti New Zealand and many other supporters, including women's organisations and NGOs, forced or underage marriage in New Zealand is now a crime. So they're doing some great work. Uh, and just a quick one. We know that most of our listeners love our 3CR 
t-shirts. Um, and if you're still looking for an end of year gift, then come and pick up a shirt for you. Yes. I guess for you or for a friend, our shirts come in a range of colours, including black, white, yellow, baby blue and grey. But we've only got black and grey at the moment. <laughs> we've restocked um, all sizes. So come in and pick up your 3CR t-shirt at the station or order online now at 3cr.org.au um, or phone during business hours on 03 9419 um, coming up next, we've got uh, Beck Kavanagh and uh, Fiona Vella spoke with Beck Kavanagh, the coordinator of Read Up. Uh, many of our listeners know about the Stella Prize as an annual literary award that acknowledges and celebrates achievements in Australian women's writing, but it is also an important organisation committed to cultural change and challenging narrow traditional stereotypes. In a recent initiative, the Stella Prize, in conjunction with the Victorian State Government, developed a resource aimed at 15 to 24-year-olds called Read Up, and it's a series of book lists organised under the headings like Diverse Cultures, LGBTQI, um, Respectful Relationships, uh, Mind and Bodies and Feminism, and I guess each heading includes novels, comics, memoirs that give prominence to that particular voice, um, either through the characters, themes or the plot. Uh, Fiona Vella spoke with Peck Kavanagh, the coordinator of the initiative, not only encouraging young people to read, but to challenge stereotypes. I guess the idea behind Read Up is to offer some narratives that we don't necessarily see all the time, um, to start uh, pushing books, to the front that maybe aren't given the amount of airtime that other books are given and to also start exploring themes and content about issues that we have been seeing are really important to teens such as um, diverse cultures, uh, sexuality, respectful relationships, minds and bodies and feminism and these are all things that have been important in different respects and, and very much in the public view recently mm. um, and that we see more and more young people wanting to kind of get involved with. So it was kind of a, a way of going, okay, well... Um, when I was in high school, I certainly had no idea <laughs> what books and stuff to read to find pathways into those things that mattered to me. So how can we make it easier to connect uh, teenagers and young people with those ideas? How exactly do you plan to, to promote this initiative to, to young people? How are they going to find Good out? Question. <laughs> <laughs> Promoting things is always the hard part, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, we, uh, we've got a sort of multi-pronged approach for that. Um, so we've got physical copies of the booklets that I've been talking about with kind of a shortened version of the book lists uh, that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And we'll be distributing them through bookshops, uh, through libraries, through schools, and then also through more non-traditional avenues to teenagers, so at youth groups and community organisations. And we've got a list that we're sending them out to, but also people are certainly welcome to contact the Stella Prize if they would like sets of these booklets sent out to them um, and haven't been contacted by us. And in addition to that, more extensive versions of the lists and with those book lists, there's like thinking points and talking points and mm-hmm. some, you know, contextual ideas. And that's all available on the Stella or through the Stella Prize website um, on the Read Up site. And so that means that 
you know, there's a really broad engagement available online and there are links to further articles and to videos and reviews and places where you can buy the books or see people reading the books. So that expands yeah. our access even further. Yeah. And I guess ideally um, you'd have sympathetic uh, English teachers or school librarians that would that would kind of push the titles to their to their students as well. Sure, sure, certainly, and um, you know we're really lucky because obviously uh, with Stella we've been working with schools for mm-hmm. a while now, um, and so we've got a really great network of really great engaged librarians and English teachers mm-hmm. who are really invested in um, you know giving their, their young people a more political voice and a more engaged voice in, in those issues that matter to them. So that's certainly an avenue that we're pushing, but also we're hoping that it's the resource has been created with young people themselves in mind. And so while we're certainly um, really happy with the support that we get from schools and libraries, we're hoping to make as many avenues as possible for those young people to access these lists on their own terms and to really feel that, that they belong to them. And is that through, for example, the community associations that you mentioned? Yeah, so. that's right. So, yeah, different youth groups and different um, community organisations, um, you know, organisations that work with teenagers outside the traditional education system, you know, another, as I mentioned, making them available online and linking through organisations that aren't necessarily education-based but yeah. that work with teens in, in different avenues. So just making sure that it's not just uh, a this-is-a-school thing. Mm. Um, and how about, do you mentioned that you have a good network of schools. Do, does that include schools outside Melbourne and more like in a regional setting? Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, this is a uh, program that was started by the Victorian government. So obviously our focus with it uh, is quite specific to Victoria. Um, certainly we've got uh, a lot of regional Victoria, a lot of regional Victoria involved. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently did uh, an event that we do through the Stella Prize called Girls Right Up mm-hmm. um, with Wodonga and that sold out for teenagers there so we've got a really great network out that way Fantastic. Um, and then we've got regional areas in other states and also um, central parts of other states that mm-hmm. definitely we hope will engage with this with this new initiative as well. So that Wodonga event was that organised through the local high school or through a community organisation? No, so Girls Right Up is something that we run with the Stella Prize in a number of states and I think next year it will be running in, oh gosh, um, <laughs> too, too much on jet lag brain to guess at the number of states, but I think it's at least five states across uh, Australia, uh, including a number of regional areas. And so we take that out to different areas and work with you know various groups or venues to make it happen. In Wodonga it was run with the Wodonga Library and the Wodonga City Council and they helped us out with venues and yep. with getting networks but we had a number of local schools from Wodonga and all areas uh, coming from like up to an hour and a half away attend which was really fantastic um, and in fact Read Up which the kind of primary focus of it is these reading lists there is also a, a shortened version of Girls Write Up that we're offering to a number of um, of uh, groups that work with teenagers mm-hmm. uh, outside the education system um, and we'll be doing a number of kind of smaller versions of Girls Right Up with those groups and those teenagers. So these, these are... So it sort of ties in nicely. Mm-hmm. And these are young people who, have, have they fallen out of mainstream education? Yeah, some. So we're looking at doing um, 
one with an organisation that works a lot with young mums mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, we're looking at working with organisations that work with refugee kids and, um, yeah. you know, young people from different backgrounds that, yeah, potentially aren't offered those same opportunities mm-hmm. uh, through school that, that, you know, your more mainstream schools um, yeah. give access to. Yeah. Um, I've um, So there's five lists, is that right? Five lists in total? Yes, yep. five. And they all cover, for example, different um, different identities or uh, different kinds of voices. And um, so the LGBT, yeah. Yeah, the LGBTQI plus, th- th- those titles, they're mostly written by um, authors of, of that background. So that must be, that must, you know, ma- mean they're quite powerful texts and with, you know, an authentic voice. Um, are there any particular titles from that list that you... Um, feel a standouts that you would like to discuss? Oh, look, I mean, <laughs> I think that the titles, we, we've tried to prioritise own voices in all of the list. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, there are so many titles on there that I would love to, to talk and talk about and discuss. Um, I think that that list is really fantastic. It's got uh, graphic novels on it, so it's got Skim by Mariko and Gillian Tamaki. Um, it's got, you know, uh, uh, explores various gender identities and and uh, non-binary gender identities. Um, Finding Nevo is a really great one by Nevo Zizan, who is a really young author uh, from Melbourne, and this is their first book, Finding Nevo. It's a memoir, and it's really, mm. really fantastic, and I've seen them speak at conferences, and they were just mind-blowing. Um, you know, so from things like that to uh, books like Queens of Geek and The Flywheel, which um, explore the really beautiful and positive side of LGBTQI relationships mm. and don't, you know, turn them into this, like, issue-laden mm-hmm. um, novel that that kind of does dominate the narrative sometimes. So it does give teenagers... Um, with different sexualities, narratives that are really positive that they can enter into and that they can read. Um, and then we've got like Lemons in the Chicken Wire by Alison Whitaker, who is an Indigenous uh, female author, and she explores Indigenous uh, trans women in this book. So, yeah, it's sort of impossible to pick one, but I'm just so excited by the, the number of different narratives and voices that come out in all of the lists. And, and as I said, it's sort of the same across the board. You could go to any list and, and I'm so excited by the number mm. of voices and we're so lucky to have um, a number of consultants work with us on each of the lists who really did a great job offering their expertise and making sure that you know we didn't miss anything and, and that the lists are really tight and, and are the best that they can be. Are they all Australian authors? No, they're not all Australian authors and that mm-hmm. was a really difficult decision because... Um, you know, obviously, with Stella, our priority is uh, books by Australian female authors, yeah. and that is certainly prioritised in these lists. But at the same time, there are books that, you know, it would have been almost remiss not to include. So, you know, there are books in the feminism list, such as uh, We Should All Be Feminist by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, mm-hmm. uh, and that seems like such an obvious choice uh, and books that were recommended to us for the minds and bodies lists for example mm-hmm. um, that are not written by an Australian author that it seemed a bit too didactic not to have some flexibility so I would mm-hmm. say that 
you know, 70 to 80 percent of all of the lists are written by Australian female authors, but yeah. certainly where we've been recommended and where we feel that it's important to include books by uh, other voices or, um, you know, from overseas voices, we've made sure to include them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're certainly hoping that there will be opportunity in the future to grow the lists even further and to make sure that we get even more books coming in. Okay, yep. I mean, the, the project is really exciting because it does it does open up all these um, alternatives for young people outside of traditional uh, texts that they might encounter at school, which most likely continue uh, perpetuate stereotypes of gender, sexuality, um, and and ethnic cultural background. Um, so it, it is, you know, you you must be very proud and excited of this resource. It's it's. Um, it is, you know, it's wonderful and it, it opens up so many opportunities for young people to identify, to, to have that opportunity to identify with characters who they can, who, who they feel that, that, that connection with. Yeah, thank you. We're so, we're so proud of it. It's been such a huge undertaking and um, we're definitely so proud of it. And yeah. hopefully uh, that will, will kind of show in the responses from young people now that the books are starting to circulate and and we're starting to get feedback. So, yeah, I hope that <laughs> I hope that it is everything that it can be. Absolutely. Okay, well, thanks so much, Beck, for speaking with us. Thank and, you uh, so much for giving us the opportunity to chat. Yeah, all, all the best with the project. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. See you later. Bye. Oh, that would have made a difference uh, when I was young at school, having those um, amazing, amazing uh, resources to, uh, yeah, learn, I guess, um, you know, about uh, cultural um, uh, change and, I guess, even challenging narrow traditional stereotypes. That was Beck Kavanagh, the coordinator of Read Up, speaking with Fiona Valella about a new initiative that aims to inspire change by giving young people reading recommendations that challenge stereotypes and provide positive role models. If you'd like to view the book lists, go to the Stella Prize website, which is uh, Stella, sorry, thestellaprize.com.au forward slash read up forward slash. There you will find the five reading lists uh, with full details of titles, including other resources such as links to articles and I think reviews and information about the books. You can also contact the Stella Prize through the website if you'd like them to send you physical copies of the book lists. Uh, just quickly, I know it's uh, that time of the year and uh, a lot of people are probably getting there. You can still pick up uh, some 3CR wine by 12 noon on Friday the 22nd of December and from $17.50 um, we're once again you know, um, selling some delicious Yarra Valley wine generously donated by 3CR supporter Luke Lambert. Um, wine will be available collection for collection from 3CR. I guess you'll be getting a very, very good bargain at $17.50 per bottle. You can snap up even more of a bargain by buying dozen or half a dozen lots or mix it up with a mixed dozen or half dozen order of um, white or red wine. If you want a specific mix of wine, please order either a dozen or a mixed half dozen and then specify the quantity in the order commons field so you can buy that online as well uh, or you can come in to 3CR to pick it up at 3cr.org.au it's nearly that time I'll try and um, get through and uh, might uh, you know play a little bit of a track by the wonderful 
Aretha Franklin, who I had the pleasure of seeing at Radio Music City Hall. Wonderful, wonderful, soulful Aretha Franklin there with uh, Don't Play That Song For Me. Um, just quickly, I just thought I'd make a, an announcement. I know most of our listeners um, have heard us speaking to uh, the Ethnic Communities Council of Victoria Chairperson, Mr Eddie McAuliffe, over the years. Uh, on Tuesday, the 5th of December, the Ethnic Communities Council of Victoria Board of Directors elected Councillor Chris Pavlidis, who is a mayor of Whittlesea, and she is going to be um, the new chairperson 
Um, she was previously the ECCV's Women Policy Advisor Committee convener, and she, you know, she's a passionate advocate for women from culturally and linguistic diverse backgrounds, and she's currently in a second term as elected mayor of uh, the city of Whittlesea. Uh, and as um, Eddie said, um, they've selected the right person for the role. Um, and I'd like to wish uh, Eddie McAuliffe well in his future endeavours, but he's been a great um, contributor to the Thursday Breakfast Show and he's always been available to have a chat to us any time we needed him. Bisexual Alliance is a non-profit organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi-alliance.org or Email info at by-alliance.org. 3CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor, the New International Bookshop, for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. Just before we get our next guest on and talk about um, their Christmas appeal, um, a while back uh, there was uh, an incident that happened at um, the Sydney Opera House. We know that Australia's Manus Island Detention Facility in Papua New Guinea officially closed on October the 31st. However, hundreds of men and women who were housed there were refusing to leave and are still refusing to leave for resettlement in PNG as they say they're in danger. Um, There were, uh, I think, up to four people who scaled the uh, Sydney Opera House sales to protest refugees in offshore detention centres and yesterday they appeared in court um, and I guess uh, this highlights what um, you know community action and, and, and groups and people are willing to, to do to uh, bring pl- uh, to highlight the situation that these refugees um, face they were fined five thousand dollars each so two men aged 25 and 26 and three women, uh, aged 23, 25 and 27, appeared in uh, Downing Street uh, local court um, yesterday, uh, charged with trespassing on the famous building, on the famous building, and interfering with equipment. Um, and they were arrested in November, obviously, after staging the stunt. Uh, and it turns out that each of them were part of, obviously, the Whistleblowers, Activists and Citizens Alliance, um, and and they were representing the five trespassers, but out of the f- uh, five, four of them have been fined $5,000. Um, they plan to appeal that, but uh, I am sure that if um, the, the court ruling gets upheld, there's plenty of people out there and listeners who will start a crowdfunding campaign. Um, $5,000 is probably not that much compared to how much the government was spending on Manus Island to keep um, refugees there. So, and there were protesters um, that gathered outside Downing Centre local court as proceedings commenced yesterday. And I guess one of the climbers, Marco Vena, said that his only regret was that the Australian government still hasn't done the right thing at all.
The Solidarity and Defence Fund is a democratically controlled fund that materially supports activists who are facing legal sanctions or other problems due to their stand against injustice and oppression. All contributors who pledge at least $5 a month can take part in collectively making decisions about how the fund is used. Your contributions support and grow movements for social justice and defend activists in the fight for a better world. For more information or to join, go to patreon.com forward slash solidarity defence fund. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Solidarity Defence Fund. A 3CR supporter. Are you aged over 65? The University of Melbourne is conducting interviews exploring how radio can impact well-being. Researchers will interview you for 60 minutes and in return you'll be given a $25 gift card. For more information, please visit cbf.com.au forward slash wellbeing. This research is proudly funded by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Hi, my name is Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name is Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. Lest we forget, join us to commemorate the 176th anniversary of the execution of the two freedom fighters, Tanaminawai and Moabohina, at the Tanaminawai and Moabohina Monument, corner of Victoria and Franklin Street, Melbourne. Do you know the names of the first men hanged here in Melbourne town? Join us midday, Saturday the 20th of January 2018 and then walk with us to their last resting place in the Queen Victoria markets. The ceremony will be broadcast live on community radio 3CR, 3cr.org.au. Far from their ancestral homes down in Van Diemen's land their lives would be in vain if they didn't take a stand. Ah, uh, it's um, ten past eight on 855 AM 3CR, the last show for the year for me. And I sort of thought, well, what better way to wrap up the year than to talk to uh, a uh, very, very uh, special person. So our next guest is a man from the heartland of Brunswick, I guess uh, a man who can be described as being sick and tired of looking down the barrel of Australian politicians, a man who is at the point where he has taken action against their injustice against refugees and more recently equality, a man who has lost faith in the decision makers of this country, if you have had any, while they argue and I guess while they support to while they fail to support a man like Con Karapanagitiaris and his request to stop Australia's internationally recognised human rights abuse against refugees. It is my pleasure to welcome my friend and my former co-host of Thursday Breakfast to the show this morning, Con Karapanagitiaris from Asylum Seeker Resource Centre to talk about their Christmas appeal. Good morning, Con. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for the great introduction. Thanks for all the amazing work you do. Oh, 
Thank you. No, no, that's fine, mate. I think uh, more importantly, no man, woman, or child belongs in detention. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really hard time. Like we get to Christmas time, and there's still one thousand eight hundred people locked up in detention centres. Um, this Christmas is five Christmases that the men of Manus are going to have had there. So you've got you've got over seven hundred men still on Manus. You've got over you've still got one hundred and sixty children on Nauru, and it's just it's just heartbreaking. Having been to Manus Island myself recently. Uh, everything you read and hear about what we're doing to refugees in these offshore camps are true. They're cruel, they're unsafe, they're undignified, they're illegal, um, and they, they're just beyond the power when you go there and go, why won't we let these people come to safety? And the scale and depth of the depravity um, and danger that people face in places like Manus in the Rue, it's just it just boggles the mind. And I think for you, um, you know, you've been doing this for such a long time, to even make that step to go back and have a look again and see since, obviously, um, uh, it closed in October, that the that, 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 that more horrendous that the situation has got over there. Well, it has. I mean, I think that shocked me last month when I was on Manus Island, was getting into the camp, and the men have since been forcibly moved from this camp up. But to be in that camp that night, and to see over 400 men in a camp with no running water, no electricity, uh, no food, no medicine, no doctors to watch, to see the men all, you know, getting ill and sick because of the conditions, uh, really shocked and distressed me to go, this is done on the orders of the Australian government that we are leaving these men to perish and are trying to starve them out of this camp. And that's what they did. They starved them out and with threats of violence and some of the men that were talking to were actually beaten out of these camps, physically beaten, now into three new centres where, as of yesterday, because um, the local community doesn't want them and they're not welcome there, and there's constant conflict between the people who own the land that the centres are on. Um, yesterday, for the third day in a row, the centres were blockaded. Um, trees was being prevented from getting in. Medicine, doctors were prevented from getting in. Like, um, the day before, two men were assaulted locally, like, this situation is beyond critical. Um, and that's the critical thing I want people to know about, is that as we get to Christmas time, we've got to remember not to forget about what's happening on Manus and Nauru mm. and also commit next year to keep pushing and keeping the political pressure up until these people are brought to safety. And I think it's, um, and I mentioned, you know, you're constantly also looking down the barrel of the, the political space. You know, obviously yesterday um, the the uh, whistleblowers, activists and citizens alliance group who climbed the, the Sydney Harbour Bridge ended up getting fined $5,000 each for standing up for, you know, the rights of refugees. But the politicians at the other end, you know, it's their last sitting this week. All they care about is what they're doing and where they're going for holidays, but they're not actually making any definite decisions about what to do to help the um, refugees. Well, what's most distressing of all is that the Australian government, on the one hand, has been saying Papua New Guinea is a sovereign nation. We have nothing to do with what's going on there on Manus. Mm. And yet in the last month, Peter Dutton banned MSF from getting inside the camps, banned the Australian Medical Association from going, and they blocked they blocked New Zealand's offer yet again for a fifth year in a row from taking 150 refugees, which they had started taking back in 2013. There'd be no one left there. So you're right. This is a government that 
um, doesn't care. I mean, it doesn't care about refugees. It doesn't care about indigenous people. It doesn't care about the poor, the disabled, women, gay people. I mean, all the things that FreeCR is passionate about and cares about, this government doesn't care about any of them. This is small-hearted little men all trying to stop the future. And when they get, you know, think about what a shameful year this government has had. And there's no greater shame than what it's been doing to refugees. And, and the cruelty in the scale of it. And, and on that point too, am I, I think you mentioned that, you know, they've stopped New Zealand. Am I right in saying that when it comes to the definition and the legal side of those appeals, they're leaving it to the PNG government to do the legal side. But from the other side, they're saying, well, no, you can't come in and they're stopping people like MSF going in there. Yeah, they, they really are. Australia funds, manages and controls everything that's happening there. Even when they physically were forcing the men out of the camps, they had the help of the Australian Federal Police and the advice of the Australian Army on how to break them in and how to get them out of those camps. So the Australian government is uh, um, is controlling everything that's going on there, and that's what's so distressing. Mm. And this is only just about politics. It's not about keeping those men locked up there on manners or keeping the families locked up in the room. It's not about saving lives or stopping refugees coming by sea. It's really just about being able to show the depth of cruelty that this government can have out of the hope they will win another election for them. And it's about nothing more than that. So, you know, what we need, you know, when, when people ask, well, what can we do? Well, as we get into the new year, we want people to continue to lobby the members of parliament and pick up the phones. We want people to keep sharing the stories of what is happening to the, to the men on Manus and the families on the roof. We're asking people if they can to so please chip in and donate to our Christmas appeal with five bucks or 20 bucks and they can just go to www.asrc.org.au that's asrc.org.au and chip in for our Christmas we're 2% away from our Christmas targets so we're almost there but wow. the most important thing yeah which is great yeah which is fantastic yeah which is great the most important thing is for people to care and mm. for people to be active and for people to be involved because we only have the country that we are willing to um, you know Except, and so we've got to lead when government fails, we as a community have to lead and build a more compassionate and welcoming Australia for refugees because we're not there at the moment. Uh, uh, we're, we're taking less, we're caring less, we're hurting poor refugees. That's what our government is doing. And, and we and, need to step in. And they have uh, some pretty interesting allies to the government because you wake up this morning and, yes, it did happen, that situation in Altona, but some of the headlines on your favourite new- newspaper, I won't say the name, police on African youth ambush alert, you know, and yeah. that sort of feeds into that whole stereotyping of, well, if we let refugees in, it, it, it's a fine line, but as you can see, I mean, it's very, as you've just mentioned, what's happening over there, it's a human rights abuse. But, but also, but also Jean, the problem is the only time you see race being reported as an issue is when that race is a person whose skin colour is black or brown. I mean, stats actually show that Australian-born kids, Australian-born kids actually commit more crime in, in Melbourne than, than young people who have come here as refugees from, from different parts of Africa. In fact, refugees and immigrants are less likely to break the law than Australian-born um, people are. I mean, that's actually uh, the truth. Yes, that's actually the fact. fact. But yeah. the problem is, you're not going to see you're not going to see a, a Herald Sun or anyone else running with Anglo youth, white Australian youth. 
you're not going to ever see words like that, but you will the moment they can say Sudanese or Somalian or African. And that all feeds into this idea that that our multiculturalism and our diversity somehow Mm, is a dangerous risk. When in fact, it's what makes this country great, mm. along with our indigenous history. So, yeah, unfortunately, that's a narrative that sells papers. And, you know, it lets bigoted people feel justified to go, look, see, this is why we have to be this way. And, and the whole thing is just um, a distortion or, or, you know, that exists for that very reason. And I think that the key message, too, from, from your Christmas appeal uh, is really we need to have these um, refugees evacuated, you know, and it, it, yeah. it, it is a, a, a breaching of international law. It's a breaching of, um, uh, well, it's international, sorry, it's, uh, it's a human rights abuse, essentially. Yeah, um, well, look, yeah, and that's exactly the thing. Like, it is unlawful for Australia to have taken refugees that have sought out protection and sent them into offshore camps. It's inhumane to have left them there for almost five years now have spent $10 billion, had nine die there, dozens of assaulted, dozens of women and children sexually abused on the route. Uh, it's inhumane and cruel to leave people in two countries that are impoverished, do not have the capacity to settle these people, do not want these people, and in conditions that have no security, that have no safety, and that are places of constant conflict. And to leave people like we do now with a Take an example of Manus Island with men who were on the phone with every day who are experiencing extraordinary um, medical issues, uh, trauma, serious mental health issues without any adequate care and support. None of these things are acceptable and none of these things are normal and none of these things are things that should be happening in our country. And I think you mentioned earlier, um, I know six days ago, um, you'd reached 88% of your Christmas appeal. Um, and, you know, with four days left, how, how, how much did you say you had 10, 10% more to go? To no, reach no, it? We're, we're, just, we're, just, we're just about to hit 98%. So we're just 10% oh, excellent. off. Excellent. So just, tomorrow, we really want to ideally you know, wrap it up tomorrow because we're conscious. People have been so wonderful all year and you don't want to keep, you want to give people a break as well. Yeah. So well, we I mean, I don't, I don't want to keep seeing your, I don't want to keep seeing your face coming up every day too. Yeah. So let's uh... exactly. So <laughs> to, to, to stop that, what we just need people to do is um, go to asrc.org.au. Takes a minute. Yeah. There's also you can also do it by PayPal. Um, text fight call too on, as well. Yeah, you can you can do it by text as well. Also call up. One three hundred six nine two double seven two or one three hundred my ASRC. Yeah, or you can just text to O four three seven three seven one three seven one the word fight and that's a twenty dollar donation. So that's O four three seven three seven one three seven one. But the most important thing is to care and to chip in whatever you can spare. Mm. There's mm. no such thing as too too little. Um, but we'll be eternally grateful. And I think uh, we just, uh, which was quite interesting, we just had a um, uh, the Stella Prize uh, interview with Beck Kavanagh, and it was talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess um, uh, a development of resources aimed at, you know, uh, cha- challenging cultural uh, stereotypes and narrow mindfulness. So if you if you've got young kids who you think are not getting that at their school, there's an opportunity here to look at an organisation like ASRC, show your kids what you're doing, and show them that side that you know there is a compassionate Australia out there as well. 
Um, it's so important, yeah. But, Con, we really appreciate you having us on 3CR, okay. and uh, hopefully we can share some cake at some point and have a good Definitely. day tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you so much for your support in 3CR. Support. No, have a All good festive well. season. And you too. Take care, Dean. Well. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. And that was uh, Con... Um, Karapana Gitiotis, the uh, CEO and founder of this Home Seeker Resource Centre. And as he mentioned there, all you really need to do um, is, is, is show some compassion and care. Um, obviously, the government isn't doing the right thing. Uh, there are more than 2,000 people seeking asylum and they'll spend another holiday season incarcerated in offshore prisons for nearly the fifth year. So you can donate to support refugees and people seeking asylum in in um, uh, Australia, um, and they must be evacuated. So donate now online or by, or by calling one three hundred six nine two double seven two, or you can text fight to o four three seven three seven one three seven one to donate. And as uh, Con said, they've got two percent to reach their target. Um, and if you can, yeah, get on there and help them out, that would be fantastic. Three CR are selling. Kafia Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Final show. Um, what can I say? Very, very inspiring. There, listening to uh, Con talking about um, you know the, the plight of, of refugees. There, um, so yeah, we're nearly finished for for the year. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Grace uh, and Sherazad and also Rashida, who have made some fantastic contributions to the show this year. They are not here at the moment, but I wish them well. And I'd also like to thank Bernadette, my producer extraordinaire, who uh, you know, keeps me in check. Um, and I'd also like to thank the team at 3CR for all the wonderful work that they do all year, um, you know, with their, their commitment to, I guess, um, you know, keeping us honest and making sure that we, uh, you know, provide a, a some really, really good relevant content for our listeners too. Uh, on the show today, we heard from, uh, um, sorry, Annie was speaking with the founder of Clean Skin Cinema, uh, earlier on, and I think her name was Haley Bracken, and all their proceeds to the event were going to the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. Um, and at 7.30, we heard Hope speaking to Meng Zhu Fu from Shak, 
Te New Zealand about the prevention of family uh, violence in immigrant and refugee communities. And then at 7.45, Fiona Valella spoke with Beck Kavanagh about ReadUp, which is a resource aimed at 15 to 24-year-olds um, with a series of book lists organised under, you know, headings to, I guess, um, make people be um, less na- uh, narrow in their thought and their thinking. And then just after 8, we spoke to Con Karapanachigiatis from the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. But thank you all. Have a great um, Christmas Day. Have a great festive season. We look forward to, you know, being here next year. And, um, yeah, hopefully you'll uh, tune in to us as well. But I just thought I would leave you before we go to Lost in Science with a classic track to take us out. CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor, The New International Bookshop, for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of... You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.